0: A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello, World Game Changers, wherever you are in the world today. Welcome back to this episode the fifth and final episode around Peter Lowe's book, The Language of Winning. And without further ado, Pete, a very
1: warm welcome to you, sir. And a very warm welcome to you as well, Paul, on this once again beautiful UK morning.
0: Okay. Let's just
1: hope, listeners,
0: that wherever you are, uh, if the weather's not uh, beautiful, then life certainly is. So, Pete, We've been on this voyage of discovery around uh, the previous four episodes, around your book, The Language of Winning. We've dived into some, what I believe is some fascinating chapters and topics, and uh, it's took us on a, dare I say, a weird and wonderful voyage of discovery. And uh, we come to the last two chapters in, in your book, Managing Obstacles to Success, and then the very final chapter, Move to Improve. So maybe a good starting point then is uh, managing obstacles to
1: success. Yeah, it is indeed. It's a good one, Paul. And it's something that I genuinely believe is overlooked by an awful lot of people. There is the danger that when we are doing well, what we want to do is always continue to do well. And what we don't think of are the things we have to do to maintain that success. I know you've heard me say on several occasions, and funny enough, I said it to a young golfer yesterday that just because you play well in one tournament doesn't give you the right to play well in another. You have to earn it every time you play, plain and simple. But it's not just about earning it, is it? It's about planning for it. Everything has to be planned for. Because if you're not planning, you can bet your bottom dollar your competitors will be planning. And one of the things they'll be planning to do is to remove... Any things that are in the way that prevent their organization from getting better. And I talk about in the book, you know, essentially five things that um, uh, I think are a consideration without even going into any great depth to be quite honest with you. I mean, one is always looking into the eyes of fear. People are always frightened of failure. That's natural. And I found that more than anything to be so natural. I and mean, in yesterday, when I spoke to a young golfer, I could see it etched all in his face. By the way, Paul, this is one super talented boy. By the way, he's, mm. super, early 20, he's super talented, and yet he does certain things that are almost default issues because he has a, a fear of failure over certain things, and that has to be removed. Otherwise, if it's not, then he won't he won't succeed at all. And then we get into things like defeat or failure, our attitude to defeat or failure. You know, no matter how you, how hard you try, there's always going to be failures. We know that. And if there isn't a, a process to failure inside of a business, then there is never an opportunity to learn from that failure. And yet that in that failure is your next success without fail. It's there. If you look for it, you've got to be prepared to. <laughs> But where organizations create blame cultures and they want to look for a blame when there is a failure, then we have a problem straight away. Success has to be managed in itself. Um, Because you don't, just because you've succeeded once doesn't give you a right to succeed again. Leadership negativity is an issue. Big expectations, sometimes expectations which are not set appropriately uh, or that have been set in such a way that actually they've never been explained to people and how they, they want them to achieve certain things. The consistent issue about changing mindsets. You know, this issue of, of influencing mindsets, Paul, I said it earlier on when that chapter came up, it never goes away, you know. It's not something that actually you crack and then you go, well, I can put that to bed now. You have to do that every single day of the week to the point where it becomes a very, very subconscious perspective. And these are things before I've even got into things like managing setbacks and issues like uh, managing what I call thunderbolts. In other words, things that go wrong on a a daily basis or a weekly basis that you can't possibly plan for, but you've got to accept that they're there and you've got to rise strong after that setback and put it right. Mm. So there's an awful lot in this issue of managing obstacles to success. And with respect to leaders, that is their job. They have to try and have um, a vision that prevents most of those obstacles from occurring in the first place.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And experience helps in that, Pete, doesn't it? If you've been there before, I mean, there's no, you know, we've said it before. Ultimately, you can have all the talent in the world, but you start um, factoring experience and effort and work. Then that is a winning success.
1: Uh, story isn't uh, it? Yeah absolutely you're absolutely spot on by the way and one of the things that experience tells you is the difference between what I call catastrophes or thunderbolts and um, you know things that happen out of the blue and you can't plan for or just good old-fashioned poor leadership that creates failure through fear through um, allowing what I call self-adulation brought about by over-celebration of success is achieved. That is one of the biggest things that I think is a problem. People achieve successes and they want to consistently celebrate it. You celebrate it by all means, because you should do. But once you've celebrated it, Paul, it's done with, and you've got to move on. Mm. Otherwise, you sink into an abyss um, called failure, which is just plain uncaring and being aware Uh, Of what people need and that's just plain bad old leadership but it is an abyss Mm. and the
0: same principle applies Pete does it not around the what you know uh, what most people might call failures rather than learnings but you know say you know if we win 1-0 as you say you know celebrate that success but move on if you lose 1-0 take the learning from it and move on but we don't do we tend to cling to these These highs, these lows, and they tend to dominate. And I'm going to use the word bully bully our mindset of, oh, that's two games we've lost now on the trot. You know, one nil, one nil. There's there's something in this one nil. You know, we keep losing. No, you, you don't keep losing. It's two games, but it's so. But that's the trick of the mind, isn't it? To say, ah, you see, I told you, not good enough. You can't keep the opposition out. Just that sucker goal, that one punch, and that's enough. And we create this internal dialogue, don't we? Um, well, yeah. You know, and if the leaders create that uh, internal dialogue and that culture and that energy, they're going to pass that on, and that becomes then, well, a deep ingrained culture,
1: doesn't it? Well, there is no question about that. And if the leaders create that, what chance is there for anybody else? Yeah. Mm. At the end of the day they are the people that say yay or nay to whatever it might be yeah I mean obviously what we want people to do is to be able to influence things that go on but you know what the influence of people inside of an environment is automatically waned or weakened when they perceive that a leader's uh, mindset when failure occurs is one of looking for blame cultures people will not put their head above the trenches Paul if that be the case Plain and simple, I just won't. And the second thing that goes with that is this is that it's okay to reflect by the way when you do well. That's absolutely right. That's that is what you should do. In other words, why have we done well? What were the strengths out of this success? What were the minor strengths out of this success? In other words, the areas we've got to improve upon. But then not to reflect when you have when you haven't done well and you failed is I I don't get that. I I simply don't understand that. I think reflection at any time is critical. Mm. Absolutely critical. But reflection, Paul, with a purpose. You know, I spoke to this young player yesterday about practice with a purpose because I believe that his practice didn't have purpose. I've been watching him and he asked me to watch. And, And whilst what he was doing was okay, there wasn't purpose for development, if that makes any sense. And it's also the same thing with reflection. Reflect with a purpose to get out of it what you need to get out of it. So others can use the failure to create their next successes. Because in those failures, Paul, it's not it's potential that we haven't done everything poorly. There might be some things that we've done unbelievably well. But what your performance may well have lacked at some stage is a a bravery, a mental bravery and so we've missed out on what i call a potential moment in time an opportunity for success a moment in time
0: yeah absolutely yeah i get it i get it move to improve Pete. the the final chapter
1: move to improve well paul this is i mean this is the hub of everything now because what we've done is we we've look through all this process of what i determine to be the language of winning and if we get to a stage where there is a finality to it then what point in the language of winning there is no language of winning if that be the case there is only a language of winning when we determine that actually where we are is is not good enough anymore Mm. because competitors Mm -hmm. are catching us up and so we have to have a mindset to continual evolution there has to be a mindset to always want to look for different things. you know. And this chapter starts with a quotation from the great Sir Alex Ferguson. He said, most people with my kind of track record don't look to change. But I always felt that I couldn't afford not to change. We had to be successful. There was no, no other option for me, and I would explore any means of improving. And, and it's not difficult when you look at that to understand that why they spent 27, 28 years, whatever it was at the top of the tree, winning trophies every almost every year and sometimes X number a year. So it's not really diff- difficult to see that. And then this thing about moving to, or move to improve, it's just a play on words. It's about um, constant evolution, adapting and creating change all the time because you know that what you've got now is okay. And by the way, And you know by this, Paul, new managers come into football clubs, they create a style of play, and all of a sudden it's now very successful. (coughs) But it takes about a season for people to get used to that style of play, and then the next year they play that same club again, and they've now really sort of adapted to play against that club, and that style of play is no longer that efficient. It's no longer that successful. But they haven't (coughs) evolved the club that have created that style of play. Others have got used to it and know how to play against it now. It's not rocket science, any of that, is it? So one has to adapt and create change. And in order, in order to do that, what you're actually saying is when we're going to evolve is we have to look at a way of raising the stakes. Or as the great Pat Riley called it from the LA Lakers, up in the ante. You have to look to up the ante players have to know, workers have to know, employees have to know, teammates have to know, whichever way you want to put that down as, is that we have to up the ante. Now, how do we up the ante? What is the, what information have we got? What knowledge have we got? What experience have we created in the times that we've been together that allows us to up the ante? And create higher standards as simple as that and so from that point on, onwards what you decide is and the last bit in that chapter is and once again a bit of a play on, on words on the move where to so where are you going to move your standards to and how do you know they're the right standards so quite honestly Paul I think nothing stays the same forever does it nothing at all um, doing the same thing over and over may be a comfortable routine but it may not keep you in a prime position So you have to be aware of something that I call a dark destroyer, and he's called Mr. Complacency, because complacency is a self-created toxic disease, and it absolutely infects organizations, and it can easily be stopped. But to stop it requires an awful lot of mental energy and a desire to want to go forward from the safe place, Paul, of a great standard you've already created. That's a safe place now. So you constantly have to change your safe place. I hope that makes sense.
0: Mm. I just want to go back to um, you use the the excellent example of Sir Alex Ferguson and his tenure at Manchester United for nearly three decades. And it brings in another angle, Pete, that does, doesn't it? Because I can remember the game, well, I'm aware of the game because I was actually there, Um, when Ferguson had got um, in his initial sort of spell at the club, had got Mm -hmm. a really really bad record to the point where the media had flagged up and I think the club had actually flagged up, this was his last game and if he didn't win it he'd be out, he'd be gone Mm. and that game was against my hometown club in the third round of the FA Cup, Nottingham Forest Mark Rob Against the Tote Forest absolutely annihilated Manchester United that day. And against the total run of play, Mark Robbins popped up with a 1-0 winner. The rest is history. Manchester United went on to lift the FA Cup. And Ferguson went from to success to success to success after that. But the point is, had that result gone the other way, Ferguson would have been gone. And none of this would have been... You know, so it brings in another thing, doesn't it, around this move to improve. It brings in the word faith and, you know, sticking and believing yeah. you've got is actually the right. Even when the winds of change are blowing against you, having that self-belief, having that collective belief that, you know what, this will turn, this will be okay. And that Manchester United stroke Ferguson um, example, Pete, is probably one of the most profound examples that I can think of.
1: Uh, without doubt, With, without doubt, Paul, and you, you use phrases like faith and trust and, and stuff like that. And you're absolutely right in what you're saying, but on such small margins, often are the greatest successes achieved. You know, and that, as you were talking about at the time, was small margins, mm-hmm. you know. But if you look at that, <clears throat> a man came into a club, he'd won almost nothing for God knows how long, They won an FA Cup under Dave Sexton, um, but they never won a league for some years. Champions League winners or European Cup, as it was then back in 68, Mr. Ferguson comes in. But you know, the one thing that he did have, Paul, which is so important, he had respect and reverence for the club's history.
0: Mm.
1: He understood that it was his or theirs to inherit, his leadership team to inherit, but never to ignore. And he'd never ignored it. And that club was built under him or rebuilt, if you like, under him, but absolutely respecting the history of the past. In other words, that it was built with how they wanted things to be done, young players to be developed, young players to come through. They were the backbone of the club. So a great youth development programme. And look at what they've done over the years. You know, look at what they've done. And it's, it's beginning to start again there over, over at that place. But that's not insignificant either, because the man who's the manager there now, <clears throat> if you like, is a disciple, an ex-player of Mr. Ferguson's. And so he's picked up the things that are really important. You know, and one thing that I take from that, by the way, Paul, was this constant thing about having a learning environment. There's a great Mm -hmm. learning environment there. That's why kids come through and become um, established first-team players and serve the club and and solidify the club's history. You know, so... That great piece of business that the club did all those years ago in sticking with a man that they believed was the right man, boy, has that turned out to be quite profound, hasn't it? Mm,
0: Hasn't it just, yeah.
1: You know, so... Um, this thing about evolution and evolving you know I I look at it in two ways Paul it's the one where you've got this mega uh, successful environment uh, led by a mega successful man in his team who knows that they always have to consistently evolve because that's what the club is about or that's what the business is about but then you've got this place where potentially there is no success And from its point of having no success, it has to now completely re-establish some process of success. And that takes you back to what was chapter five and the cycle of change. So what cycle is that business in at that moment in time? And how do we change it? And without all those thoughts, then it's never going to change. Because it's leadership that's not truly steering the the ship.
0: The cycle of change. I mean, that brings in listeners, isn't
1: it true to say
0: that, generally speaking, we as humans do not like change. Better the devil, you know, and cliches like that, kind of part of our conditioning from from an early age. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. And, you know, all this stuff that we fed, And I don't think most of us actually stop and challenge that because we taught it and it come from a good source, inverted commas, you know, parents or, you know, a much community pillar or an employer or whatever it was. And we just take it at face value rather than having that, to quote Richard Gerber again, that childlike curiosity. Well, actually, you might be my mother, you might be my father, uh, you know, or a a close and a good source of uh, of input, but who says that's right? And and to have that confidence from a a personal point of view, Pete, to keep what I call prodding and poking. Well, okay, Pete's give me a great piece of advice. Let me prod and poke that a bit more. Let me let me inquire. Let me be curious about that.
1: But we don't generally speaking, do we? No, no, absolutely not. And and the reason being, as you, know, I talked about. Um, one thing that was at the beginning of, of, of that um, chapter Obstacles to success and that's looking into the eyes of or looking into the eyes of fear, which creates failure. You know change, Paul, is a very fearsome thing to people in work environments. It's a destabilizing word. It destabilizes the mindset. and the reason being is because the mindset automatically goes to negative. What happens if this happens? What happens? What happens with my job if this happens? If they change my job, what does this mean? These are hypothetical questions that uh, human beings ask, you know, probably subconsciously or probably to themselves. But the fact is, is that in change there is opportunity, and we said it in the previous podcast, it is there, and so we have to have a mindset and a. Uh, to want to look at change as being a positive perspective. How can I influence that change? How can I be a part of that change? And, you know, speaking from my own um, situation in football, what I knew about football was that nothing stayed the same often just for five minutes, if I was honest with you, Paul, it changed all the time, all the time. Um, And you had to be prepared to be flexible and go with things sometimes. And sometimes it was very difficult to see good in what you thought was was established bad, for the want of a better way of putting it. But you have to. You have no choice. You have to do that. Because part of your job in any environment is to be a leader, even if you don't want the responsibility of leadership. And this is where I say, going back to this conversation that we've had in previous podcasts, is this is that everybody in an environment has to at some time step up to the plate of leadership, even if they don't have the responsibilities of leadership, if that makes any sense. They have to step up to the fact that they have to be maybe tougher or be a mentor to people, to speak well to younger staff, for example. That's leadership, Paul. But it's not necessarily a paid responsibility that you're given and so i contend and i believe that everybody in any environment is there to be a leader and it's the leader's job of the entire place to ensure that what he or she does is to create leaders for tomorrow and never leave it till the week after because if you do you might be something you're missing something great in some of your staff because i really honestly believe this there is potential for greatness in everybody there really is. So you have to explore that. But to know that, or to, to know what that potential greatness is, you've got to know your people, haven't you? You have to understand your changing room. You have to understand those people who sit in your changing room and have a mega curiosity about who they are. That's not being nosy, that's being incredibly productive.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, there we have it, listeners. Nine chapters we've been through. Nine chapters of the language of the the language of the winning, even the language of winning. I don't know where that <laughs> extra the come from. Um, um anyway, by the by. So Pete, I want to thank you immensely for yet again for taking taking us on this journey, this rich journey of discovery, insights, shares. You know, there's been, for me, a lot of inspirational stuff. And and I know we speak the same language anyway. Uh, We've had many conversations now. So immense gratitude for you, you know, for sharing the insights around your book.
1: You're very welcome, Paul. Honestly, I've really enjoyed it. Um, It's always nice to be able to speak about something that you're proud about, your work, if you like. Sometimes it's not even your work. Sometimes it's just a part of your life. For me, I actually think it's a part of my life, if I'm honest with you. Um I didn't realize if I may be a tad arrogant that I knew these things for the want of a better way of saying that, and it was only really when I was starting to read the book or actually sorry write the book having um originally spoken at a, a business conference in Manchester with this title uh for the the conference presentation that actually I thought there was something in it that was worth writing hmm. I'm glad I did.
0: Well, definitely worth writing. Just invite you in, Pete, to share your contact details uh, before we start to, uh, as I say, the the referee will put his metaphoric whistle (laughs) in his mouth to blow full time. What's your contact details, Pete?
1: Well, my number, and anybody can get me on this contact number, is 07531 538302. I have two email addresses. Um, please, Please feel free to use either. The first one is Pete at first-team.net. And the second is Pete at PeteLow.com. Super.
0: So there we have it, listeners: the language of winning. And all that remains now is for me to sign off. And the referee will blow the whistle by saying, Remember, the game's changing. How will you respond? <laughs>